Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of McManus Talks, today recorded on the 12th of February 2016. Um, the last few weeks we've been discussing a sort of very specific topic um, and I've really enjoyed it and although I don't think I've necessarily gotten to the end of that topic and, and all the things that could be said about it, um, because I just find it particularly interesting. Uh, I think for now, I've sort of stretched it as far as I can go. I will go away, think about it a little bit more, and um, possibly do a little bit more research in the area. Um, but we should we should drop those ideas. I should say, I finished um, the Free Economics podcast today, the, the, the most recent episode of Free Economics about handwriting, um, if you're listening to this significantly in the future. And they prefaced uh, Self-Improvement Month in April. All their podcasts, um, I gather, will be based on self-improvement. And it struck me that that's kind of uh, pretty much what we did in January. And uh, <laughs> for a moment, I wondered whether they listened to this podcast. I, I'm certain that they don't. It's just kind of interesting that the, the, the sort of two uh, overlap one of the most successful podcasts out there and this nonsense. Um, so today I wanted to um, go over uh, a topic which really relates to two separate things that we just discussed before. So I really like the idea of having these sort of interwoven themes throughout the podcast. Um, and the two things which it relates to is one is this idea of um, sort of debating or, or raising concepts about when free markets don't work and uh, when sort of pro-market arguments might fall down and in 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 that area we've had um the dinosaur hunting episode which uh was a personal personal favorite of mine not necessarily the favorite but so i quite liked it i just like the title um and also the uh in search of gray podcast and it also relates to uh the podcast on telling your own story and the one which discusses how if you can kind of control the narrative, you control the data or at least the interpretations of the data, even if the narrative doesn't necessarily fit uh, the data. And that was all on um, movies and sort of the gender pay gap involved in films. And these are topics which um, I've reflected upon in the sort of economics discussion group that um, I attend every Monday, uh, and I don't know, it just sort of seemed to fit, so I'd quite like to um, discuss it. I think the extent to which it fits into the kind of uh, free markets good can be debatable, and I think by the process of kind of storyboarding a podcast for this, um, I've probably convinced myself out of that argument, but you know, I want to make it as uh, you can reach your own conclusions from what I say, or at least the arguments I put across. So this was a subject which was one of the recurring themes of the discussion club, um, which meets every Monday for anybody in the Canterbury area around Monday lunchtime. Um, and one of the recurring themes was really the economics of the movie industry. Um, and we sort of read a number of things on this and listened to different podcasts and that sort of thing. Uh, and within these articles, obtained just through simple internet search, I didn't really do anything particularly clever. Um, was a recurring theme of the sort of homogenization of the movie industry, where the target market for many movies, it's argued, are, are the young, uh, and particularly sort of young males for some reason. Um, and it's argued that sort of the 10 to, 15, 10 to 17, sorry, and the 18 to 24 ca uh, age category are the sort of like real sort of target markets, which kind of fits. Uh, this was argued to be the target market in these articles for two large reasons. First, this market is... Um, far more likely to attend the cinema, but also they're um, easier to market the cinema towards, like it's easier to sort of catch them through different marketing materials. Um, and also it's a desirable market to, uh, it's a desirable market, it's a desirable segment, if you like, to market towards. 
um, and post-film advertisements are a big revenue for cinema markets. So this idea that um, you, you know advertisers want to promote their products to this market means that um, you, you know if you make a, a movie, which a lot of seventeen to twenty-year-olds go to, uh, you're going to be in. in uh, you're going to make lots of money through this. Um, and this kind of uh, particular target market was put into contrast with the earliest 20th century sort of state of affairs where most people went to the cinema, especially in the US. However, the sort of growth in television and other home and outside recreational entertainment um, led to this decline in demand for cinemas. Um, in uh, Edward Epstein's The Hollywood Economist 2.0, one imagines there was a 1.0 or at least a, a, a Hollywood Economist without a number. Um, he cites that uh, whereas over 80% of the ambulatory population in the US went to cinemas in 1929, this number is currently less than 10%. Um, further, 70% of multiple theatre goers are under the age of 21. I think ambulatory population means people who walk. Um, the problem, it was argued in these articles at least, was this very specific target market has led to a specific commodernization of the movie industry with respect to its recent uh, movies or outputs or whatever. Many movies now come from franchises, either established or movies which hope to be the first in a franchise. And these franchises often target very typically male type subjects. Um, by this I'm thinking of the common trend towards comic book movies and franchises such as Transformers and things like that. Uh, by no means am I saying that all these movies are liked by males. And the key thing to here to highlight is that movies tend to be pretty similar to one another. It's this idea that, um, you know, they all look the same. Just to try and articulate this point, and uh, in, in the kind of um, the spirit of trying to be a little bit more uh, researched in these podcasts, if I look at the 2015 uh, UK top 10 film box office movies, um, they were in order uh, Star Wars, uh, quite naturally, then Spectre. Jurassic World, Avengers, uh, Minions, uh, Fast and Furious, well, Furious 7, Fast and Furious, the 7th edition, uh, Inside Out, Fifty Shades of Grey, The Hunger Games, uh, Mockingjay Part 2, and Home, of which uh, eight of these movies come from a franchise, uh, and the success of the other two, Inside Out and Home, have led to suggestions of sequels. So, you know, it could be in a couple of years' time, these are all coming from... Um, franchises even if they're the first in these and beyond the three animated movies which in the list were minions inside out and home uh the other movies i would argue are targeted very much at the young market and with the potential exception of 50 shades uh are more male orientated although i accept the presence of female leads in at least half of these movies although it should be said where there are clear sole male leads in all these movies uh, only in the Hunger Games is there a sole female lead, really. Um, otherwise, there is a female lead, but they're sort of co-leading the movie with, a, with another man. Um, yeah, I guess that's fair. I don't know. Some of, some of these comments, I guess, you could argue against. And that's the whole point, right? Okay, so I'm digressing a little. The, the main point I want to highlight here is that there's some evidence, certainly the, from these top ten movies, of a, a modernization or just a sort of convergence of the movie industry towards movies with similar themes and tropes, from which I really want to discuss two concepts. Um, the first is the idea of what I call endogenous preferences, um, by which I mean an individual's preferences are not given but grow over time. 
So economic analysis typically assumes that an agent or an individual or a firm, you know, we just use agents to mean lots of sort of things. Uh, an agent's preferences are given and then they maximize their utility or satisfaction or ha happiness, whatever you want to call it, subject to some budget constraint. Uh, but the key thing here is, is that these preferences are neither th something which um, changes in the process or is involved in the analysis. It's just, you know, I like bourbon biscuits or whatever. That's just given. Um, however, I think the key question here is, are these preferences something that we're truly born with or can um, going through the process of uh, production or consumption change our desires and tastes? When I look at the UK uh, top 10 movies from last year, which I just listed, I watched three of the top five and, and quite enjoyed all of them. So the natural question is, what am I complaining about? Um, how can I be complaining about the homogenization of the movie industry, but also um, quite willing to support said movie industry and have a good time with it? Um, of total, I saw six of the top ten and pretty much uh, loved all of the ones that I watched, with the possible exception of Fifty Shades, which, even if it wasn't amazing, was quite fun. However, I don't make movies, and it's hard for me to imagine the potential movies that could have been made that I would have enjoyed um, that uh, were not made because of this homogenization. Uh, beyond the, those movies in the top ten um, that we've listed and talked about, uh, I saw many other movies last year and enjoyed most of the things I watch. I tend not to watch bad movies. Um, and for some of them, I really struggled to watch them, and there's, there's some movies that I really wanted to see but couldn't because... Um, you know, the, the cinemas were not showing them at a time compatible with my early bedtime uh, and my aversion to travel more than sort of 20 miles to watch a movie. So really what I'm trying to say is how much of my sort of enjoyment from the movies I watched last year, in particular uh, enjoyment of the movies which were successful, um, was a product of sort of preferences which I had from birth and how much is just from sort of being uh, in this process and just sort of sort of settling, if you like. Um, but this kind of discussion brings me on to a discussion more about the theory of markets. Um, so economic theory suggests that in a situation where there is demand for some product uh, and profit to be made if a firm produces it, then a firm will enter the market in order to produce it and gain this profit. This is assuming that there's no barriers to entry into the market, which one would imagine in the movie industry are quite high, but let's sort of forgo that for a moment. Uh, the market forces would uh, attract new firms such that if a big production company was solely focusing on blockbusters and sequels and franchise movies and comic books and that sort of thing for a long time, a new firm would just enter the market and produce the product demanded by the rest of uh, the consumers in that market. Um, I was reflecting, therefore, uh, during discussions and just wandering around, why this is not the case in the movie market, at least given the prior arguments and the associated line of reasoning. Uh, one reason might be high barriers to entry for both producing a movie, so equipment costs, um, there's probably some sort of legacy, like you probably need networks in the area, and of opening cinemas which have a more niche focus, uh, you know, even even the sort of slightly less mainstream cinemas still have still are quite limited in, in, in what they offer. Another might be a slow market to respond to these forces, especially in the aftermath of a recession. You know, people are kind of reluctant to invest. However, is it just that I've been too quick to jump to conclusions? Has my line of reasoning not been um, particularly clever? Um, I figure that these gaps in the market are being attended to, and I was a bit too influenced by a couple of articles which suggested that the only uh, movies out there were these sort of 
uh, sequel type movies. Yes, the multiplex cinema, the big production companies and the majority of the market go for the types of movies we have discussed. But there is a variety out there. It's just a little bit harder to find. There are independent cinemas such as picture house type chains. There is Netflix and other streaming services opening the market for further competition. Therefore, to some extent, I think economic theory seems to be working. It is just, uh, for me at least, the extent to which this is true is open to debate. How much uh, is the the free market and the sort of, one imagines, quite wide variety of tastes out there, how much is that being um, accustomed to by the sort of operations of profit motive and, and free market uh, movements, as economic theory would suggest? I think there are plenty of situations where our preferences are shaped by the market and where, in this instance, the concept of exogenous preferences or preferences that we're born with being satisfied by this market breaks down. In this respect, this is why marketing or advertising has a role to play in free markets. Rather than just inform, it is trying to shape our preferences. Uh, under these condition, conditions, the concept of a free market providing efficient allocation becomes less tenuable, less easily reached conclusions than on the face of the very simple welfare theorems, which I'd love to discuss, but probably for lots of Remember the economic problem, which is really one of happiness. It's of trying to create, um, trying to satisfy infinite wants from the finite resources we're, we're given. The argument put across by pro-market economists and um, to some extent the economics industry overall, uh, although that might be a little unfair, is that through allowing sort of self-interested agents, and we've discussed this in uh, dinosaur uh, hunting episodes and things like that, allowing uh, self-interested agents to uh, go to the market and trade uh, will provide the best allocation of resources, that is, provide us with give provide us with the most amount of satisfaction or utility as we call it um, given our finite wants but if we're in a world where um, some agents are best suited by creating additional wants by sort of advertising products such that um, to trick uh, individuals such that they think that they want something which not necessarily they do then in a sense the free market is solving the economic problem um, yes, by maybe sort of allowing us the freedom to go and allocate our resources, but at the same time, it's increasing our wants. So it's taking uh, infinite wants, uh, trying to satisfy our finite resources and creating even more infinite wants, if that makes sense. Um, and it's, you know, we're sort of slowly getting into concepts of different dimensions of infiniteness. But I think um, hopefully my argument's quite clear here is that when we allow sort of preferences to change and preferences to develop, and when we put in a, a free market system such that it's in the best interests of some people, uh, most people really, to um, try and change our preferences and not necessarily to the sort of gains of society overall, but just to make sure they sell more products, then we have a sort of um, breakdown of the kind of uh, results that we get that free markets and pro-market forces are, are a good outcome. To some extent, I think the movie industry is a good metaphor for this position, uh, in that it's increasing our preferences for simple by-the-book movies and therefore makes a good argument for this sort of uh, state of the world that maybe uh, we shouldn't be overly reliant on free markets. And I think the sort of top ten list uh, and the preponderance of sequels and comic book movies uh, is some evidence towards that. However, I also think this argument was probably a bit more easier to make 10 years ago, say, uh, although, you know, um, I might be sort of thinking back with rose-tinted glasses. 
Uh, I think nowadays, you know, there are a lot more niche movies out there, and although it's slightly harder to watch them, um, streaming services, for example, do make things a little bit easier. Um, however, I think, you know, I think there is some sort of grey in this topic that, um, you know, I, I've been up and down, and if I recorded this podcast in another uh, two weeks, say, maybe my position would have changed on this. But I think there's certainly enough grey in this area to really think about not only how the economic problem of infinite wants and finite resources, but also this idea of how our preferences change and how it's in some people's best interest to change our preferences. Uh, and finally, whether or not this is a good case or a good uh, argument for why in some cases a reliance on pro-market forces is possibly too strong. Um, so, I don't know. Anyway, uh, this was interesting for me. Um, I'm aware that I'm starting talking about topics which uh, people might like to have comments on, although that doesn't tend to happen. Um, but I don't know. Uh, th there is a comment function on the podcast, and somebody did want to leave a nice thing. I, I don't often check. Um, but please do send through your thoughts and feelings, both with respect to what I discuss in any given podcast, and also um, in respect to anything else you might like to see. Um, I'd really like to continue the movie themes. I, I quite like movies, and um, it's kind of fun to uh, talk about them. Um, but we'll, we shall see. Um, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye, bye-bye.